today is Psalm 148. Uh, I've got a video I'm going to use for part of it. It is a Bible project video. So I like the Bible project, but I realize that so they do these, they, they doodle while they lecture, which is kind of nice, um, keeps the mind engaged. I realize that not every family has the same uh, level of uh, tolerance or view on images. So some, I, I, I've specifically selected, uh, the video I really wanted had an image, something that could be construed as an image. So I've tried to choose one that doesn't have an image. The closest this video will get to an image is uh, they'll say the word Messiah King and they'll show like a stick figure of someone with his, with his foot oppressing evil. So it's a, it's a, it's a stick figure of a king. Um, the one I chose not to use showed the Messiah King like elevating into the air and, you know, people worshiping him. So I felt like that image might have been a little bit overboard for families who uh, are stricter in that area. So I just want to say something now that way. I don't I won't cause offense. Um, but before we see the video and talk about the lesson, we'll sing Come, O Come, Emmanuel together. Uh, and then uh, before that, we'll pray. So are there any prayer requests? You need all. I have a few myself. Don't be shy. Keith, I feel like if Joan were here, she would say something about Israel and Gaza. <laughs> and I would agree with her that we should pray for uh, suffering. Around the world. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm sorry? Okay. Sickness. My daughter is also sick. And my wife stayed home with her. Any other prayer requests? We have um, a dear friend from college who just had a bone marrow transplant because she has leukemia. And so that happened this week. So her name is Brandy. If we could just pray that body receives the bone marrow and um, the cancer dies. Did you say brandy? Yes. Any other prayers? If it's something you don't want to say out loud, that's okay. God is powerful enough to hear even when we don't know what to pray for. steadfastness in the Christian community in the face of pending uh, attack and persecution. Yeah. Count it all joy, right? Count all, the, all those trials, count them all joy. Amen. Well, uh, any other prayer requests before we pray? All right. Let's pray and then we'll sing this song. Heavenly Father and Almighty God, we come to you in the name of your perfect Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that you don't hear us because of how good we are, but you hear us because of how good he is. And you have said that uh, because of him, we are now sons and the son, adopted, uh, co-heirs. And that you, although he is the firstborn, you uh, care for us and hear us and listen to us. And you even see us as righteous because of his work on the cross. Uh, so we boldly approach your throne of grace and we lift up to you these needs that have uh, been addressed and the ones also that haven't been addressed. We pray for sickness in the church. Uh, we pray for those who 
could not worship with us today, and we ask that uh, they would be blessed through the internet video ministry that uh, our deacons and elders are running. We know that's no substitute for worship uh, together, but we are so thankful that we can be part of the body uh, from anywhere. Uh, we pray for suffering around the world. We know that everywhere there is suffering, there are Christians there who are suffering. And we ask that uh, somehow you would use suffering to your glory to further the gospel and to further your kingdom. And we also ask that you would uh, alleviate suffering. We know that it could be a lot worse if it weren't for, for you mercifully holding back the worst of evils. So we thank you for doing that. We pray for Brandy. We pray that the bone marrow treatment would uh, be successful and that you would give her hope to trust in you, the great physician. And we also ask for courage, courage and perseverance in the face of persecution around the globe. Um, sometimes we take our small trials and we turn them into big ones, but we know there are Christians who are suffering greatly. We ask that you would give them courage to be a faithful witness for the gospel and for the glory of your son. Um, help us to uh, help where we can to send money and resources and to pray and help us to Always do what you told us, to watch and wait, to know that you are coming soon. We thank you that we can worship you during Advent. Uh, we thank you that uh, Advent was just the beginning, that we look forward to your glorious return. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. All right. Well, uh, if you are able to stand, please stand with me. Let's sing Come O Come Emmanuel. I think I've messed up the title. I added an extra O. Oh, this is what happens when you... As I was playing that song, it occurred to me that uh, many of our prayer requests are actually addressed in that song. The same things we prayed for today, Christians have been singing and praying for, for uh, thousands of years. <clears throat> well, um, thank you all for prayer requests, and like I said before, if you didn't mention something out loud, that doesn't mean God doesn't hear it, and if there's a prayer request that you want special attention for afterward, please uh, find me after the class. Um, I realize we don't always want to share every single prayer request. Um, so before we look at the outline and before we look at the video resource, I wanted to go to Psalm 148 and kind of do a before and after thing here. Psalm 148. Does everyone have a Bible or a cell phone app Bible or a friend next to you with a Bible. Good. Looks like we're finding each other. So what I'd like to do on these 14 verses is um, I'll read the odds. You guys read the evens back. Um, and then I would like to contrast our first reading of it with, uh, if there's time, we'll read it again at the end of the lesson. And I would like just to know, you don't necessarily have to tell me, but based on what we covered in the lesson, I'm curious if our understanding, I hope our understanding of the psalm would increase. Um, sometimes with psalms, I find that it's easy to just kind of try to read it like a book, like prose, and I just kind of read straight through it. But a quick note on, uh, well, we'll come to a note on uh, genre afterward, but let's start with uh, reading God's word. Uh, this is God's word, and when it speaks, God speaks. 
So let's pay attention. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, Praise him all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Amen. So a quick note on genre. Psalms are poems. Um, collected different authors. Uh, the video will address some of this. But um, I want to uh, address the word literally before we go on in the lesson. A lot of people say, well, you know, our church takes the Bible literally. And that means a lot of different things. Um, and I think people say this, honestly, I don't think they're trying to deceive us. But my understanding of the word literally, and, and maybe, maybe Joan could, uh, if she's here next week, could uh, offer, uh, offer her thoughts as well. Um, if only there was another doctor now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my understanding of the word literally is to take it as the author intended it. Uh, that's different than literalistically. Literalistically is to take every written word as though it means exactly what it says. Uh, so a good contrast here, or a good, a good uh, example here would be when the Psalms tell us God has, uh, protects his, his loved ones under the shadow of his wings. To take this literally means to understand that the poet who wrote the Psalms is saying God is powerful and he protects his people. And then there's this imagery being used to give us an example so we can understand. To take that literalistically would be to try to then go, well, how many wings does God have? How many people can he fit under there? Um, you know, are these, are, are these wings that can fly? Are they like chicken's wings that aren't really good for flying? Um, so... Normally, this isn't a problem in the Psalms. This is a problem when we get to sometimes uh, Old Testament texts that are... Uh, it's tough when there's a mixture of genres. So a lot of Old Testament texts are historical in nature, but that doesn't mean that the author doesn't use an, a metaphor. So we have to be careful when we're, when we're taking metaphors literalistically instead of literally. And I think it happens a lot in... Uh, uh, some, some Christians are... Uh, so-called red-letter Christians, where we uh, look well, at... there's also... R.C. Sproul has stated this time again. Uh, culturally, there's a cultural way of speaking. Mm -hmm. And in that time, in that region, there's a manner of speaking in which it is understood what the speaker is saying because of this is how they are... This is how they're saying. So right. they use metaphors, they use right. these uh, illustrations, if you will. Colloquialisms. Colloquialisms. Idioms. That now have, over time, people have changed. Right. Meanings or, or definitions. Right. Right. And it's open to their own interpret their interpretations of how it, it, would, it would not necessarily have been interpreted in that manner. Right. Right, so, and I think that happens a lot with what Jesus says because people want to take Jesus literalistically. That's the temptation. And then also in Revelation, uh, there's, you know, ongoing... Yeah, my father's house, there are many rooms. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's, you're going to get a room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. I think, I think the, the current debate over eschatology shows that too, that um, 
And that's not to say that one, one camp, the point of this lesson isn't to say which camp is right or wrong, but just to say we have to be careful with uh, genre and idioms and colloquialisms. Sometimes the Bible has influenced our culture to the point that it has, our culture has taken on the Bible's meaning, like when people say, I don't know him from Adam. People who aren't Christians know what that means. Um, but then sometimes we take our own cultural beliefs and put them over top the Bible, and um, we have misunderstandings that come from that. So hopefully we don't do that today. Um, let's uh, watch an eight-minute video. Hopefully none of the participants of the class do the same. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm just being lighthearted. If you're really tired, I understand. <laughs> if I fall asleep, please wake me up. I think that's the real lesson here. Okay. What I wanted you to see is, you've already seen it, it's showing you that Psalm 148, uh, the last five psalms are this kind of culminating, um, culminating piece, conclusion to a whole book. And we often, uh, I think one mistake I make with the psalms is we often, uh, we often treat it like, like a hymn book, like you said, where it's, oh, here we go. Are we, we playing now? All right, well, we'll give this another chance to, we'll just let that be. I should have plugged it in. Um, the Messianic King of the Future. So that's where we left off with that. Um, what I wanted you to see in this video is um, that the Psalms are not like, the Trinity hymnal where you can just flip to different, uh, you know, categories or first line and that, you know, different. The Psalms are equally as covenantal as the rest of the Bible. Uh, just like the law feeds into the prophets, the prophets predict the coming of Messiah. The, the New Testament gospels uh, are uh, Jesus work. In, in, the, in the Gospels is explained by Paul and other writers in the epistles. And then a final book about Christ's return, Revelation. Psalm does, Psalms does the same thing. Um, and so here we are at the end of that book that uh, starts uh, with mo mostly two, two main genres in the Psalms. Um, one thing we would have seen if the video kept playing was uh, lament and praise. And um, it's mostly lament in the beginning, and at some point in around book four, it switches to mostly praise. And this is an example of where we can, we can have godly sorrow and lament over problems in our world. You see it all throughout the Psalms, problems in our own lives, without necessarily being um, acknowledging and lamenting problems is not the same as lack of trust in God. Um, you can find plenty of Psalms that are kind of downers, um, where, you know, David is being, you know, chased, persecuted. Um, so two, two big pieces, mostly lament in the beginning, mostly praise. And then we get to these last five psalms that are the conclusion of this big kind of covenantal poetry thing. Um, and so uh, instead of hearing Psalm 148 as just sort of a standalone, yeah, praise the Lord. It told us to praise the Lord, so we will. Um, there's a lot more going on than that. Um, so we've read it. We've heard a little bit of uh, explanation from the video. And then uh, I'd like to go to the outline now. So the, the title of the lesson is A Poem of Covenant Praise for a Covenant King. And uh, you get one guess on who the covenant king is. It's not David. Um, Although he was maybe a little C covenant king, um, he wasn't the covenant king. So um, my main point I'd like to express in studying this psalm together is that bolded line, praise the Lord, the covenant keeping king will restore God's people and deserves exclusive praise. So um, let's start with verse one. Praise the Lord. Keep in mind, too, the verse numbers weren't there when the poem was originally written. Those are for our reference now. Um, so just like you wouldn't 
necessarily have uh, verses in your favorite. You wouldn't have marked lines in your favorite poem. Um, sometimes it helps to sort of like, for me, it helps to sort of forget that the verse numbers are there and to just read it more like a poet, a poet would write it. Praise the Lord. So that's the opening, the opening piece. Um, and I'll, I'm just going to fill in this outline I've made on the board as we go here. So it starts with praise the Lord. But that actually means hallelujah and then yah. So hallelujah is, hallelujah is praise. Yah is Yahweh. And um, we often say it like, I am praising the Lord. But really, it's more like a call to, like I would tell all of you, let's go praise the Lord. Here are all the reasons you should be praising the Lord. Um, so it opens with, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And I'll just do that like a H-Y. Well, any good, any good speaker knows you've got to end on your strongest point, right? What's the song close with? The same. So we've got another one down here. Hallelujah. So this whole thing, um, there's a word called uh, a chiasm, which is a type of poem that has a beginning, a middle, and then a middle, and a repeat. So it's like, it's actually, it happens a lot in Psalms. So message A, message B, Message B and message A. So this, this whole psalm is sort of like a, a, a chiasm in a big way, but then there are little chiasms throughout it, and you actually see that a lot in the psalms. And it's the, it's the poet's way of reminding you that something is important. Um, so uh, the theme, point, point number one there on the outline. A blank greater than David and greater than the other psalmists, and greater than the other leaders of Israel, is needed for ultimate salvation. This blank is worthy of all blank. Based on what we read, and the little bit of the video you got to see, anyone want to take a guess on what that, what, what that first blank is? A king, yes. So, this is uh, this psalm will mean a lot to people who didn't have a king, and then had a king Saul, but he was a bad king, and then had a better king David, who still ultimately fell, even though he was like the best king, and then a series of really terrible kings after that, and then they went into captivity and had no king. So you might you might uh, be able to imagine knowing sort of the history of Israel, why it is so important to have why they might uh, connect their salvation to the, the ultimate king, the most powerful king, the Messiah king. Um, and then that second statement, this king is worthy of all. Any, any guesses on that second point? Praise. Yeah, praise. Good. Um, so that's kind, of the, that's kind of the main point. It doesn't really... It starts off with praise. It doesn't really get to the king part until the end. Um, so we're, we're in the beginning of Psalm 148. We're really focusing on the praise portion. But we need to know that uh, there's this idea of a, of a Messiah king in the background that's worthy of all this praise. So we talked about point two already. It begins and ends with the same phrase, hallelujah. And then based on what we know about that, who are we actually calling to praise the Lord with this phrase. I'm not calling myself. Well, verse 1 says, heavens, but as the psalm unfolds, it's everyone, everything. Right. Yeah, um, we're calling each other. Mm-hmm. We're calling our community. We're calling the world around us. Um, we're even telling people who don't know uh, sometimes words like hallelujah and praise the Lord, we use those like in here, in this room. But really, uh, a poem like this, it's telling everybody, haven't you heard? Don't you know? Um, 
And as we get farther down in the, in the poem, you'll see that. Um, so we're calling, I think in our context today, um, there's even a gospel component to this psalm where we're, we're declaring how great the Lord is and how great salvation is. And um, so the psalms, although we tend to think of them as kind of Old Testament poetry, they, they have the gospel everywhere in them because they're declaring the, the might and the awesomeness of the Messiah King. So uh, to get into the structure a little bit more, what are the two realms that we talk about in Psalm 148? Yeah. Nice. So uh, I'm just going to label this, this one here. So this is heavens. Uh, Got to be able to spell. <laughs> heavens, maybe sky would be another way to put it. And then over here on two, earth. Um, or maybe land. Land and sea. But uh, where else do we hear this kind of language? Genesis. Yeah. So the same heavens and the earth. You know, if, you're, if, you, if you grew up reading uh, your Pentateuch, you know, as a Hebrew child, you know, you've probably memorized uh, Genesis. And um, so now we have a poem that's like, like a praise song that is hearkening back to God who created the heavens and the earth. And so now this song is calling the heavens and the earth and everything in it to praise their creator, praise the Lord, praise the Messiah King who's coming back. Um, let's talk about realm one for a little while. And this is uh, question number four on the outline. This also, um, so yeah, we see this language in Genesis, but then we also even just look at the, I think there's two aspects which you kind of touched on. In the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, mm -hmm. hallowed be your name. So the Lord's Prayer starts out with hallowed be your name. So all praise, all honor, all glory. So there's an aspect of, it doesn't matter, it's immaterial, so to speak, what you are, you mm -hmm. know, a fish, a human, Believer, non-believer, praise is due his name, period, because he's the creator. And, and I think this psalm is calling all, it's, it's just a fact that all uh, praise. And the mountains by existing glorify God. The deer by eating acorns, you know, glorifies God. But then there is something even more special about uh, his people, his covenant people, mm -hmm. who are called to praise him uh, for his redemptive as well in addition to other stuff so um, it's just you can kind of see this often in prayers uh, or songs uh, where there's just this due call to the Lord in recognizing who he is as creator mm -hmm. no I totally agreed um, uh, so I skipped ahead a little bit on uh, when we were talking about the two realms so if you look at verse 2, 3, and 4 is where we see a really, a good example of a chiasm. Verse 2, uh, actually, uh, the, end of, the second half of verse 1, praise the Lord from the heavens. So this is saying what to do, praise the Lord. And then the B, the B line, verse 2, is who should be doing it. Who are they? All his angels praise him. All his hosts, which is another word for his messengers. So what to do, who should do it. And then if you look at verse 3, you get the B line again. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. So another who. And then, like any good chiasm, we close out with, you guessed it, what to do. Praise the Lord. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters from above the heavens. So uh, that's kind of an example. You know, they don't always work out like poetry. They don't always work out exactly the same way. But you get 
you know, A line, B line, and then B line, A line. It's not always in this exact method, but that's a little example of it. Um, and like Ben was just saying, um, how does the sun praise the Lord? How does the moon praise the Lord? Are they, is it like, is it, is it voluntary? Is it like a, come, come on down, you know, I see that hand. Is, it, is that how we're, some parts of the creation praise the Lord uh, simply by doing as they've been told to do. So, um, which is, you know, it gets kind of sticky if you're a Calvinist and uh, we start talking about will versus no will. Like some creatures don't have, some creatures praise without, just because, and then other creatures seem to have a will and like have to submit to that praise. So we don't necessarily, this, this isn't about uh, Luther or the bondage of the will, uh, but there is a difference between creatures who praise voluntar- voluntarily, um, knowingly, and those who those creatures that do do it just because that is what they are doing. Um, but that's what makes our sin so abominable, hmm. because we were made to praise the Lord. Right. The sun was made to praise the Lord by shining brightly, by rising and setting, mm-hmm. by giving warmth, and it has always done that. <laughs> Yep. And we were created to glorify the Lord and enjoy Him forever, and we don't. We haven't always done that. Yeah, we haven't always done that. And whenever we do it, we don't do it perfectly. So I already gave away the answer to the bonus question, but uh, if anyone wants a, a bonus, I don't know what the value of the bonus is, but what's the name of that structure we talked about a minute ago? Chiasm. Chiasm, man. I feel like you knew that before you came in here. Okay. What'd you say? I was saying, give him a couple true bucks. <laughs> I was going to have candy. You get to see the rest of the video later. That's your reward, right? Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, after, we, after we see that one, what I've called like part one, in the, this is heavens, they're all labeled with one. After the chiasm, what do we get next? And this would be in verse five and six. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. What is that word for doing? It's giving us a reason, sort of like a therefore. Uh, Here's the reason why. Um, And on point five, I'm asking, what's the reason the psalmist gives for this type of praise? Um... Any thoughts on that? I mean, the answer's right there in front of us. He commanded and they were created. But why does that, why does that make God worthy of praise? Go ahead. Um, is like in Romans, it says, his creation, his power, his existence is clearly seen in the world that he's made. And when you think about the sun and the moon, earth would be a dead planet without mm-hmm. the sun. And without the moon uh, to stir the tides and you know, control the weather and replenish the seas and do all kinds of things, you know. So the, the sun and the moon are organized by God together so that we can observe them and mm-hmm. they speak to his glory and power. Yes. Along the creation, you know, the animals and the complexities. And that's what I was thinking as we were reading this. Yes. Well, there's even yeah, further... <clears throat> present tense to that because in Hebrews he sustains the universe by the word of his power right uh, and so it's a constant personal involvement in his creation so that the sun continues to give light and so on so. yeah um, the more we know the less we understand it um, the I was reading an article the other day that uh, you know it was something about how many times has the sun gone around the Milky Way and of course anytime you talk about really, really old stuff. That can be a problem depending on which, how, what, how you read Genesis and what your views of how old stuff is. Um, but, uh, you know, the more I look into astronomy, um, we just don't know why stuff works. <laughs> we, can, we think we, we get to one level and we're like, okay, we got it. And then we find out there's another level. Oh, no, we don't. And then we understand that level only to realize, oh, wait, there's another level below that. Uh, and we don't really understand how, how the complex creation works. But it's worked. For your whole life, it's worked. Uh, the sun has come up. 
every day. Uh, it's continued burning, um, and the Lord sustains it. So he, for, this is the reason, the reason to praise is 1.2. So we get the opener, praise the Lord, what to do, who should do it, who should do it, what to do, and then the reason that it should be done. Um, let's look at realm two for a little while. Describe the creatures in verses seven and eight. Or the things being, the, they're not all, I guess they're, they're not all like living creatures, but they're all parts of the creation. What's the common, if you had to label all those things in seven and eight, what, let's start big categories. Very good things or kind of not that good things from our perspective? Of course, it's all good because God made it, but. More threatening or potentially destructive. Yeah. Great sea creatures. All deeps. And then what we get after that is, you know, some like insurance talk, fire and hail, snow, mist, Stormy wind, things you usually don't want, you know, if you're out there with the flock or if you, even if you're in your home, you know, these aren't things that we generally, hey, did you see that stormy wind that came through? Man, that was awesome. Usually people are saddened, uh, even distressed. But the psalmist is telling us these things are praising the Lord. And in verse eight, we get this little nugget that uh, Ben was getting at a minute ago, fulfilling his word. So here we are into realm two. We said earlier it was the earth, the land, and the sea. So 2A is that scary stuff, bad weather, great sea creatures. Um, things that seem chaotic. Things that are unknown. Even these things are supposed to praise the Lord, fulfilling his word. So how can, uh, I feel like we've already kind of talked about how those verses, the verses, the creatures in verses seven and eight, how they fulfill uh, by doing God's will, um, just like the sun and moon and stars. Let's go on to uh, question seven in the outline. How can the creatures in verses 9 and 10 praise God? We've got mountains, hills, fruit trees, all cedars, all of them. Beasts, all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. How do these praise the Lord? And if you go back to the creation ordinance and what you know, God instructed them to yeah. do. Fruit, yeah, you know, to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, uh, pollinators. Yeah, praising the Lord through through pollinating. Yeah, you can think of uh, animals reproducing as well, so they can have sacrifices. Yeah, sacrifice to the Lord. Um, you know, for us today um, to eat. So yeah, a myriad of, of things. Yeah, um, and I think the the greater point um, is this less familiar. Does this, just like the heavens and earth was familiar and the, the creatures, the chaos of the deep. Uh, where else do we hear this kind of language? Adam was told to take dominion over a very similar list to this. Uh, to, to be God's steward over the earth. So in seven and eight, we get things that are out of our control. We're not the stewards over great sea creatures not, I mean, maybe, maybe we, maybe we are in a way that I don't know of, but generally speaking, you know, I've never heard of like a whale farm. Uh, ask, yeah, exactly. Uh, so verses seven and eight have these creatures that are like these things, these parts of the creation that we, we don't control. And we are sometimes fearful of verses nine and 10 give us things that we do control or we were told to anyway, 
mountains, hills, trees, cedars, beasts, livestock, creepy things, flying birds. So these are the parts of the creation that we are managing or we were told to manage. How, and then moving on to 11 and 12, there's another category here. How can we broadly categorize the creatures in verses 11 and 12? Who are they? Mostly, well, they're all human. They're all image bearers. All image bearers, yes. Whether they are highly exalted by man or lowliest of man. Right. Yeah, how easy is it to, uh, you know, as God's chosen people, how easy is it to uh, think of ourselves more exclusively than we should? Although, although that is an exclusive category, God's chosen people. This is for all peoples, all image bearers, all humans, uh, the high and the low, the young and the old, children. So now we're going from seven and eight, things that are well outside of the human span of control, nine and 10, things that we manage as uh, farmers and hunters and uh, you know, landowners, and then 11 and 12, ourselves, regardless of, of uh, how well we're doing uh, you know, financially or powerful or vulnerable, we're all called. So we get these three categories. The chaotic creatures, kind of the managed, the managed creation, and then the uh, all, all image bearers. Johnny, I don't want to steal your thunder if thunder's coming, but as I am reading this and thinking about about it and the progression of Psalm one forty eight, it's not my thunder; it's God's thunder. <laughs> you are gracious. Um, it's, it looks like if we were to compare Genesis 1 with Psalm 148, the days of creation. Yes. It, he's following the days of creation, culminating here with day six with, with mankind. Right. It, that's what it seems like with the, the, the heavens, the angels of the heavens, and the light, the yeah, sun, moon, stars. Yeah. All so, that stuff. It looks like it's, he's going through days one through six. So, in Psalm 148. Yes, yeah, so the six days of creation, the first three days we get the realms, and the second three days we get the creatures. And this is where genres start getting mixed in, and then we have debates over what is the literal interpretation of this. So this isn't a class on how to understand Genesis, so we'll just put a little pin in that part. But the creatures from day four align with the realm of day one. And the creatures from day five align with the realm of day two. The creatures of day six align with the realm of day three. So it's like heavens and earth and sun, moon, and stars. Uh, waters and all the stuff in the waters. And then land and all the creatures on the land. So this psalmist is uh, no thunder stolen. This psalmist is... Harkening back, uh, a well-studied, even a poorly-studied Hebrew person would, would get it. They would go, oh, yeah, I, I read that one. Um, so now we're back to the reason, point number nine. What is the reason the psalmist gives us for this type of praise? We've got another reason. It's in verse 13. Anyone want to take a risk? Well, it gets to your final point there deserves exclusive praise. So, For his name alone is exalted. Yes. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Two categories again. So we got the heavens and the earth. It's here in Psalm 148. It's here in Genesis. But his majesty is like, whoa, like way up here, outside of both of these realms, because God created these realms. So that's the reason they give us, that's question nine. The reason we give him exclusive praise is because his name alone is exalted. Um, so, um, a couple more minutes. What's the special image used in verse 14? 
Yet he's raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him. Wait a second. Praise for the saints. I thought we were praising the Lord this whole time. Um, so this idea of raising up a horn for his people, it, uh, the image would be like a, like a bull or something that had just won like a duel and is standing tall with its you know, big horns. Um, a, a horn is a sign of, uh, like an animal with large horns is a sign of strength and, uh, and you know, power. Uh, so the Lord has raised up strength and power for his people such to the point that it prays for all his saints that merely by association with the Messiah King, uh, we get the benefit too. Um, that's not to say we're praising ourselves. I don't, I don't want to be misleading. Um, but the, the, work, the work that God has done in his covenant people is, is praiseworthy. He not only saves us, but he makes us into people that are like him, that are righteous. And righteousness is praiseworthy. And that's why we get that next line, for the, for the people of Israel who are near to him. So being near to God, being in the covenant, means there's a, a, a Messiah king who will be the horn of salvation for his people, uh, not only glorifying himself, but making, the, making God's people themselves glorious, uh, glorified when we are, in, you know, this, this touches on eschatology, when we have glorified bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's for those who are near to him through the covenant. So, that's, I guess that answers the question of how does this connect to the covenant narrative. I hope you can see kind of the covenantal pieces in Psalm 148. But fi the final question I have is, why Israel? And that should also make us ask that next question. Why us? Any thoughts on why Israel? I have one. Yeah, go ahead. You just sort of mentioned this um, in that the fact that God is victorious in bringing his people to himself in spite of all that goes on here. Mm -hmm. Nothing can stop him. Mm -hmm. Amen. And, and we, sh we should um, be um, blessed by that realize that that is, I mean, that's what the Bible says, but how often do I read it, and I don't, I don't, I'm not living it out in my life. I'm worrying, I'm thinking about things that I have no control over. Right. And yet, in the end, it's his glory to have his people victorious. Yeah, amen. It is. Yeah, it would be really foolish for him to say, these are my people, and then let them flounder. That wouldn't bring him glory. Although, we do see that happen for a time. Um, actually, for several times. Um, but the, the ultimate outcome is that God's people are victorious because God loves them and God himself is victorious. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's, it's sometimes a, a sort of valid accusation toward the Reformed Church that we tend to have this kind of frozen, chosen, um, you know, we'll say, we'll say, well, God didn't choose us because we did anything good or bad. You know, it's just God's choice. But there is sometimes like a, like an underlying, like, well, God chose me, like a little bit of a pride in that. Uh, but our, our pride should be in the Lord. Um, our, all, all glory is his. And I think Israel had that problem at times too. Um, like you stated, I chose a, a stiff neck. Right. One of the, yeah, the smallest of all the nations, the least glorious. Right. Right. Yeah, if you want an impressive kingdom, pick something else. And I think we have, we have to see ourselves that way. If God wants uh, impressive Christians, well, he picked some, he, you know, if you, if you really get into it, you, you couldn't explain why he picked me, uh, Hopefully you could say that about yourself too. Um, I think too in a, in a church where, um, once again, this is an eschatology class, but uh, 
if we're if we see the church today as kind of Israel fulfilled and expanded, then we have to have that same attitude about ourselves that we clearly see in Scripture about Israel. Um, so uh, now, if you think if you think Israel from the Bible is still the Israel on the map, that wouldn't really connect for you. So um, that's a that's a harder position uh, for me to explain. But I think covenantally speaking, it, we can see ourselves in Israel, and we can see that uh, not not just the bad stuff though. We can see the good stuff too. We can see that the King finally arrived at Advent. I mean, they waited. We think we've waited a long time. They waited four thousand years. Uh, and then the advent came. And so we've only been waiting maybe half that time, uh, and we're getting impatient. So, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's think, let's see ourselves in the mirror of Israel, and let's see that uh, we can be called by this seemingly old psalm to praise the Lord for the same reasons that they praised. And um, let's also see in here that we know, who, we know who the horn of salvation is. We know that it's Jesus Christ. Um, well, that's, uh, that's all I have. I, did, I put a prayer on the back of the uh, outline uh, in the event that we had time to pray together. But because the bell has rung, um, we'll just save that for another time. Uh, but if you are you know, praying at home, these are a few categories uh, that are good, good to pray for if you don't know what to pray. Um, and uh, if you have any questions afterward, please uh, find me after the lesson. And, uh, any final thoughts before we pray and go to worship? Nope? Okay. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us uh, through ancient texts. We thank you that your word has not lost any relevance or any accuracy. Uh, in fact, you reveal more and more to us each time we read it and each time we study it. Give us a new living vibrant understanding of, of all the scripture we hear, uh, but especially scripture that we sometimes uh, categorize as old or uh, not, uh, not as theologically uh, heavy. Help us to find Christ and the covenant and, and you in every page of scripture and help that uh, by the Spirit use that scripture to, to continue to change us and conform us to the image of the Son. Uh, bless us now as we go to worship you, uh, Triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, because of the amazing things you've done. Uh, give us a fresh uh, zeal as we uh, hear your word preached and sing uh, together and uh, as we approach your table to understand uh, more of who you are and more of what you've done for us. That's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.